Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. The Athletic. The race is on, and Ferrari heads to the Italian Grand Prix under pressure with the expectant Tifosi likely to be disappointed given its form so far this season. But what's gone wrong at Marinello, and does talk of big changes for next year's car mean it could be a very different story in 2024? I'm Ed Straw, and joining us to reveal all are Ben Anderson and Scott mitchell Malm. Well, Ben, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. Italian Grand Prix, that's always a good weekend, isn't it? Yeah, very exciting. Uh, Cathedral of Speed, Monza passionate fans, nightmare car park to navigate in the in the woodlands, impossible to get into the paddock because the fans are just crowding the entrance. Everyone has to go through. I don't know if they've changed it now, but certainly in, in the days when I went to the Italian Grand Prix, it was like a bottleneck. So you could spend a long time trying to get, trying to force your way into the circuit past the, uh, past the Defosi. But um, a very enjoyable weekend in Monza, one of the classic F1 tracks. Um, not so great for the racing as, as you'd like. Um, but still decent. Yeah, not quite producing 1971 Peter Geffen (laughs) style slipstream of classics these days, but yeah, always a great place to go. And Scott, obviously you're still in Amsterdam as we record this. I'll hopefully be meeting up with you in Milan at an airport in the not-too-distant future, provided I can actually uh, get out of the UK. But uh, yeah, Monza's going to be a good one, isn't it? Uh, Yeah, it is. I, I, I think I skipped Monza last year, so I'm looking forward to coming back. Last time I was there, it was a McLaren win with Daniel Ricciardo so hopefully something equally left field this year um although actually having said that I think I've um I think I've reached the tipping point I don't know if I've said this on a podcast before but like I think I've gone past that point of being tired of Red Bull Max Verstappen wins now I I think I'd quite like like I've gone we've sat through so much of it I'd quite like to see the records shattered now so I'd quite like to see Max stand alone with consecutive wins and I'd quite like to see Red Bull win every race this season just from that curiosity factor. I think I've gone... No, p- no, <laughs> no. no. My logic is, my logic is... You've got native, wh- Scott. You've been, com- <laughs> you've all, you've been crushed. <laughs> all the while, all the while there were more races left to go than we'd sat through. I was very much of the, oh my God, how can we put up with this every single weekend? Like so predictable and boring. Do you just zone out now? Do you just when no, you sat there? It's just now going, ah. n- now it's n- now the stuff that was you know your kind of silver linings before. So you fight for second or you know a good battle somewhere else. Like that stuff's still the most entertaining part of it by by like a long way. It's just like the 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 constant winnings less offensive or egregious because the end's in sight and there might be like a quite a cool achievement at the end of it. If He's we, given up it's, hope. He's given up hope. Yeah, basically. it's kind of one of the it's like the it's like if you sit if you sit through a year of absolute predictable domination, but there were two or three times where in fairly boring circumstances, someone else won just because Red Bull slipped up or something like that. Then what have you sat through all the rest of the domination for? Because like it, it 
for like, that it, moment. It didn't mean anything. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't get me wrong. I would much, I would much prefer a left field win this weekend. But I think my point Come is on. that I've kind of I'm steering into the skid of the season, <laughs> and if it ends up being total dominance, it's less offensive to me than it was probably three or four races ago. <laughs> well, we can be very, very certain that most of the crowd at Monza this weekend will be hoping that it's a Ferrari win. That could be a long shot. That would be left field. Oh, <laughs> it's very <laughs> left field. <laughs> yeah, that would be a surprise, but stranger things have happened. So, Ben, given Ferrari have only managed three podiums this season, they've made some progress with the car, but they still seem to be a bit all over the place. Sandvoort last weekend was pretty poor pace-wise. So do you see any tangible signs of progress this year? Oh, I have to say, sadly, not. I mean, in the pure technical sense, yes, because like for like, all the cars are going faster than they did in 2022. So obviously the whole performance under the new rules is progressing. But relatively, they've stagnated at best, if you're being generous, regressed at worst. Looking at the tracks where they've been okay, Baku, Leclerc got pole, same as 2022, but he had to work very hard. And the race, you know, they went backwards. Spielberg... They were okay, but they weren't in contention for victory where Leclerc did win last year. Spa, I think they were about the same. That was one of their worst weekends relative to Red Bull. It looked similar and they were second fastest, so that was all right. But everywhere else, they've yo-yoed from second, sometimes third best, fourth, fifth, even sixth quickest at Zandvoort, arguably, behind Alpine. And in the races... This is that's just pure performance. So qualifying is much harder. Obviously, in 2022, the Ferrari was probably the quickest car the first half of the season. Even in the second half of the season, yes, they lost ground compared to Red Bull, but by Abu Dhabi, they were still second best. But this season, they sort of should be and have been sometimes, but often aren't. Sometimes it's execution. Sometimes it just seems to be a baffling, mysterious lack of pace. The races, I feel like they've got worse in the races. They weren't great at tyre management and clinging on last year at times and it was identified as a weakness through the second half of the year. This season, it seems like an even bigger job for them. So even in good races, they're kind of clinging on. I feel like science has become a bit of an expert recently in just gritting his teeth and hoping and praying and working hard to hold people off so they don't come through and make the result even worse. Say Canada is maybe the only race they've executed it well, but that was recovering from an awful qualifying. Been outdeveloped by Aston Martin, outdeveloped by McLaren, probably Mercedes as well. Car looks evil to drive. Doesn't seem to have retained the strengths that it had last year in terms of low speed. Seems to be worse in the high speed. They don't seem to get much net benefit for the drag in terms of straight line speed. And it just looks like it could spit you off at any moment and frequently is spitting Charles Leclerc off the track. So... Other than that, it's a great car. Other than that, brilliant. And looking for, looking forward to Monza, Forza Ferrari. Yeah, and of course, there that, that were that some pretty choice words from Leclerc about the car at the weekend. Carlos Sainz described it, the sixth fastest car at Zandvoort. So, Scott, can you offer any glimmer of can you offer any glimmer of hope for Ferrari fans after Ben's takedown of everything that's going on there? Uh, yeah, there are fewer races left this year than the, than we've sat through. <laughs> so, so not much, not much longer. <laughs> fewer races to sit through while Max crushes everybody. No, it's um, it, I think the um, 
the the the, the silver lining after Zandvoort was first well, first of all was the performance of Carlos Sainz and and Frank frankly and qualifying and the race overachieving in a car that was obviously sneaking into the top ten on one lap pace and race pace and he had no business really qualifying on the was on the third row that he qualified and then finished in the top five in the race. Um, broader than that. Um, it, it did at least fit into that trend of extreme performance variance. So just because that was a, what it was like at, at, at Zandvoort, it doesn't mean it'll be like that at Monza. In fact, I would expect the Ferrari to be better at Monza, a bit more sort of in its natural position of probably capable of being second fastest in, in, in qualifying and then maybe even fighting for a podium in the in the Grand Prix, so that that's a you know a sincere silver lining. It's that that's not you know reaching. A, oh, hopefully this will be one of the better weekends. It's like no, no, like the, the, this is what that car does. It, it has tracks where it's horrible and tracks where actually it's pretty good. And I don't see Monza necessarily being a track that brings the worst out of the car in the way that Zandvoort did. I can't similar really to think Canada, of, isn't it? I suppose yeah, the straight yeah, lines very, and the chicanes, and they were quite good there. I know qualifying they messed up, but in the race they were strong, and it, they well, looked like they would have been in podium contention if they'd started higher up. So yeah, if you what, transpose Canada to Monza, they should be similar. You'd hope. Yeah, and and obviously different circuit um, in the sense of the middle sector is a, a different challenge. But if you look at how they did at Spa, where there was an emphasis on straight line speed, and then obviously just nailing sectors one and three and hanging on in sector two. Ferrari were pretty competitive there as well. So I re- I think the longest corner at Monza is probably the is probably Parabolica. Um, but that's, you know, it's a consistent corner. It's not one where, you know, the speed changes like, for example, nine and ten at Zandvoort, where you've just got that really long corner that tightens and slows down and just the downforce seeps away and the, the car becomes unpredictable through the corner. I, I don't really see anything at, at Monza that should necessarily get that you know the really evil parts of the the ferrari on show so so i'm, I'm not i bet i bet leclerc will be worried about the parabolica though because that he's shunted that there before even at high speed <laughs> he's he's had a few shunts yeah exactly yeah he's gonna be nervous i reckon going into that corner yeah this is kind of summing up the problems for ferrari isn't it because also we can say as you say we can go to monza thinking they should be reasonable by their standards but they've also complained about well certainly carlos science has about the car being a little bit unpredictable in the performance sense in that they thought they go to one track and they think we'll be quite good here and they're not. And then sometimes the other side applies. So he said there's something intrinsically they don't understand. The team's not so convinced about that. So there's a lot of just uncertainty with Ferrari. It's not just the the performance overall, the lack of performance. It's the fact they're not always sure-footed within that lack of performance, if you see what I mean. Yeah, you beat me to a point there, Ed, which was going to be that that signs comment about the the fact that they don't seem to be able to accurately predict where the car's going to be strong or, or, you know, they get to a track and it doesn't quite match their reality. And the fact that that wasn't quite what the team said. I mean, Enrico Cardile, the head of chassis area, basically the most senior car technical figure, um, admitted he disagrees with Carlos on that. Although his then explanation for why he disagreed actually sounded like he was saying something different, like he was addressing a different point to sign. So, but my point was going to be, we've heard this a few times this year where the team's position about the car doesn't quite match the drivers. And I don't know if that's because they're, they're 
bad with their communication. And I don't mean the communications team at Ferrari. I, I mean the way that team people and the drivers talk about the car is not necessarily communicated very well. Because like I say, when Cardile was refuting what Sainz said, he seemed to be making a different point, which was that the car works consistently through the weekend. But that didn't, that wasn't what Sainz was saying. Sainz was saying that it's inconsistent in terms of where it's strong and weak because we expect it to be good here because it was good there, and then it's not. So I don't really know why that messaging is like that, but sometimes it just feels like Ferrari and its drivers aren't on the same page. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I feel that Ferrari at times comes across like it's got its collective fingers in its ears when it comes to the driver feedback. Some people are criticising Leclerc for having too many shunts. We've done a YouTube video on the race about whether he crashes too much for a top driver. But I feel like the way that car yo-yos in its performance, the fact they've had so many accidents, the fact that even science, who I think has been more consistent, maybe he doesn't push quite up to the envelope in the high grip situations as Leclerc does. And that's why he's lacking a final tenth or two in comparison, but also means he doesn't have as many massive shunts at the limit. Also has had races where he's just been anonymous, like Baku. He he was slow and couldn't really understand why. And it seems Leclerc's also had races like that. You know, Spain, he was slow and couldn't really figure out why. He thought the car was broken and they couldn't find any obvious explanation. So there's something going on with how they set their car up the performance envelope so narrow that it seems really easy to fall outside of it. And then the clerk's comments at Zanvo, I found really interesting where he said he could commit to the corner, but then not know from one lap to the next. And I guess this applies also from one circuit to the next, from one condition to the next, what it's going to do. Is it going to stick at that speed or not? Is it going to give you understeer or oversteer or be neutral? You don't know. And at his speed, that's obviously led sometimes to disaster. You've got the wind factor as well. I think the drivers this year have been unsung heroes in that car. I think that thing is a an evil thing to drive and they are just hanging on to it. And then you've got Fred Vasseur saying, oh, you know, the car's quick. We just need more time to understand it and a bit set up tweak to unlock the two or three tenths we're missing. And then you've got his technical guy saying, Oh, it's clear. It's clear what's wrong with the car. We can fix it for next year. I, d- I don't feel like it's joined up at Ferrari. I feel like they're saying, depending on who you talk to, you get different answers. And I don't know how you perceived it on the ground, Scott, but Zanvoy, it looked like from Friday, they started in the wrong place. The car was nowhere. Whatever their baseline setup was, wasn't right. And they just never could really get the car into a nicely accessible window for the drivers. The conditions obviously didn't help. And I thought it was really amusing almost that they were beaten by Williams, not for the first time this year. They looked slower than Williams did. And it's almost like they've done the inverse. Williams have gone from being this team that produces a car with a narrow performance window on certain tracks with great straight line speed and broadened it out slightly. And Ferrari seemed to have gone the other way. They had a car that worked across quite a broad range of circuits, and now it only works in about two or three places. Well, they had um, they had a wing choice for for Zandvoort that was a bit um, counterintuitive in that they went for, for for less wing than I think pretty much every team. And the idea was that that was just sort of what their car it suits their car best. Everyone's obviously making a judgment call on sort of where their downforce and drag levels are and sort of what's strong and weak about the car. And, and Ferrari's position was that 
I think if it was a you know a fully dry weekend that 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 would have been the the way to go. Maybe they um, maybe they 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 should have deviated from that sooner than they did. I'll give you a different example. McLaren had a the upgraded rear wing at Zandvoort, which is less drag, less downforce than what they had in their family of rear wings before as they've moved into this phase of developing rear wings after developing every bloody other surface on, on the car. Um, but they acknowledged very early in the weekend that this wing seems to work and work well at Zandvoort in the dry, but if the rest of the weekend is going to be wet, we might need to go back to the to the higher downforce one. Maybe Ferrari needed to make a, a choice like that, but they, they just didn't look quick from, from the start. And we talked about this a bit on the post-race podcast um where that because the, the the car just wasn't suited to the track they were kind of not they were kind of in no man's land really from from the beginning and when that car's not particularly comforting for the driver you've got two choices you either you either dial stability into the car on the setup and make it slower because you're probably just making it understeer badly and just not have any front end or the drivers have to be a bit conservative because they can't attack if they attack, as you were talking about there, then you, you end up with a with a crash like Leclerc. And Sainz walked that tightrope beautifully, I thought, at Zandvoort. I I just hope for I hope for their sake and the Tafosi's sake that that tightrope's a bit more of a uh, it's a bit wider as um, at Monza. The bottom line is that Ferrari came into the season expecting to fight for the championship and they're a pretty distant fourth. They're still fourteen points behind Aston Martin in the constructors' championship. So it's really been disappointing. And yeah, the uh, the stuttering progress has been a bit concerning. Sometimes on a weekend or two, you think, yeah, they're getting there. But other times you just think, no, they're just going around in circles. The point about the the, the championship position is, is very relevant, especially the comparison to Aston Martin, because 14 points to to that team is, I think it's just over 50, is it 54 to, to Mercedes? But if you look at Aston Martin, with, with all due respect to, to Lance Stroll, he's con- contributed three points to Aston Martin's tally in the last four races. So to all intents and purposes, over the last four races, Aston Martin's been pretty much a one-driver team in the specific sense of scoring points for the Constructors' Championship. And Ferrari is still being beaten by that team. And that that's not... That's not good enough. With the driver lineup that Ferrari's got, you should be blowing a, you should be blowing even a, really a a, a two driver Aston Martin team out of the water because of Ferrari's resources and where it is in the specific context of this season alone. You should still be beating Aston Martin with two drivers. The fact that Stroll's not been contributing to that tally enough over the last four races has given Ferrari a massive opportunity, and they have not taken it. Exactly, yeah, and it's just a same old story, isn't it? Because this is a long championshipless drought at the moment and to be yeah a fairly distant fourth is is not really good enough for them hello listeners if you're someone who is just too busy for a regular length podcast in the morning we have something for you the daily football briefing brings you bang up to date with the biggest football stories in just over 10 minutes whether it's david ornstein on the latest big signing or matt slater on a takeover saga that won't go away We'll bring you right up to speed all before you finished your first coffee of the day. Listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and all the usual platforms and make sure to like and subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. Right, Scott, let's move on now to next year because Enrico Cardile, Ferrari's head of chassis area, did let slip a few 
vague details of the 24 project recently. So what do we know about the direction Ferrari is taking next year? Not a huge lot in terms of granular detail, unsurprisingly. I think someone like Fred Vasseur is, uh, isn't particularly keen on on telling us the, really the basic stuff that they're working on. So I thought we were quite lucky to get Cardile in the FIA press conference at Zandvoort, and then even luckier that Cardile, I thought he was going to shut down when he was asked about this plan and said, I can't tell you much. And I thought, oh, the rest of this answer's probably going to be difficult. And then actually the way Cardile spoke, I thought was really good. It was about as open technically as Ferrari's been since the start of the season when I thought they were very good at the, the launch of their car. So what we do know is on a sort of macro level rather than a micro level, it's a huge change. It's, it does sound like a fundamental shift in that word that Vasir hates so much, the car concept. Um, <laughs> I think that that in this context, that will relate to key architectural decisions, won't it? It will be the mechanical platform. It will be suspension choices, especially at the rear of the car, but I would imagine at the front as well, because the way that you uh, direct the airflow Round the uh, through the through the entire car starts at the front wing and the suspension and how everything travels over there as well as the mechanical platform of the car. I would imagine there'll be a further change on the side pod side. I would be incredibly surprised if the 2024 Ferrari, however it's monikered, I was going to call it the SF24, but that's not how Ferrari naming convention works, is it? On their car, it would be called anything under the sun. Um, I suspect it will resemble an RB19 very closely, not identical. I'm sure Ferrari will have their own ideas. There'll be some things that they can't do or don't want to do, um, directions that they want to pursue in their own right. But the encouraging thing for Leclerc and Sainz, who obviously weren't hearing this for the first time, they'll have known for a long time that Ferrari are going in a different direction. But the encouraging thing for them is that whether you believe Ferrari truly knows, whether it is crystal clear, as Cardile put it, what's wrong and what needs fixing, Ferrari are going in a different direction. They're, they're not They've 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 abandoned this narrative of oh we can make this work. They've accepted that they can't, and to make bigger changes, uh, to make bigger progress. Sorry, they accept they need to make bigger changes. I look forward to hearing a bit more about what that means on the car side. I suspect we won't really get a concrete idea until the car launches next year. But it is, it is, it's finally an admission and proof. That, that Ferrari has accepted what it started this rule cycle with because it continued twenty in that into 2023. It was an evolution of last year. was the wrong way to go. Yeah, you can understand to an extent them persisting, perhaps more so than Mercedes did because they were so successful at the start of the rule cycle in the way Mercedes weren't. But it's been clear since the middle of last season, I think, that Ferrari were getting a bit lost in terms of how to develop this concept. And Mattia Bonotto effectively admitted as much when he was reviewing Ferrari's season later on before he got binned. And they've persisted. And now they almost the outlier. I know they're, you know, the side pod's only one element, but that looked much less divergent than, say, what Mercedes did. But the fact that Aston Martin made an early switch of concept and went down the Red Bull route and then came into this season really starting off really strong. And they've maintained strong form. McLaren, you know, a bit later to the party in terms of their own technical concept shift but now looking really strong and certainly better than Ferrari means that Ferrari they've got to wake up and it, it kind of tallies with what Vasseur is saying about there being more time to find from setup than developments if you're basically writing off the current concept as something that can't be developed properly you might as well just work on finessing it and in the background enact some fundamental changes to get on board with what other teams seem to have woken up to faster but it puts a lot of pressure 
on Basseur's emerging restructure over this winter because they have to start 2024 in much better shape than they did this year because, as you said, Ed, they came into this year expecting to fight for the championship and they've had a massively rude awakening. The big question mark for me is not whether they need to make changes because that's clearly correct. They are some architectural limitations of the car they need to make alterations to in order to create more performance potential. That's all fine and that's sensible. But that's just one part of the equation. The fact that this car, this current car, is inconsistent and has aerodynamic inconsistencies and that kind of thing is the thing that really worries me because it's not that they've got a car that's got a development ceiling that's lower than Red Bull. It does have that. But it's also having problems within its own concept. Now, then you have the question of whether do you dial out whatever inconsistency you're creating by changing your approach? And it all centre on the floor because any of those architectural changes are all about maximising the floor and being able to run the car at the right sort of height that you want, not getting into porpoising, generating prodigious downforce while also giving you the suspension compliance so it's drivable. But that could get dialed out, but they could end up just with a car that's got all the basic architecture right. But if there's still some lack of understanding that's leading to the aerodynamic inconsistency, it doesn't necessarily disappear. So that's what next year's car is going to tell me because we could end up with something that's in the big picture, the right sort of approach. But if they can't get the detail right, if they can't get the underlying aero science right, they're still going to be in trouble. So that's the question. If I was inside Ferrari, I'd want to know. For them to say, we understand the problem, I would want them to not just know what the symptoms are of this issue, but say, oh, actually, we understand this is the root cause. It's not a second order problem or something else. This is the root cause of the difficulties we're having. Because if they can do that, then the big architectural changes plus that can add up to a big step forward. Well, there's a worrying example from this year, potentially. I think, I want to say it was around Austria time. They bought some parts. And I think you did an interview with Jock Clear, Ed, talking about that specific upgrade. And it was stressed that the upgrade wasn't about adding performance. It was about opening up this performance envelope, making the car more consistent, easier to drive. And I wouldn't look at the races since and say that those upgrades have have achieved that objective for the drivers. Yeah, more benign was one of the objectives that Jock Clear's spoken about as well as... It looks anything but. Exactly, yeah. And getting that consistency of performance across a, a wide range of, of corner speed profiles. But that's the really worrying thing. If this development direction they're taking has not just not solved the problem, but potentially even exacerbated it. That's the question. These are things we can't be absolutely certain of. I would say 100% from last year to this year, they have made the car worse in that aspect. Last year's car, which wasn't the easiest to drive, Leclerc had some unfortunate incidents, high-profile ones in 2022, but that car looked demonstrably easier to drive and more accessible than this year's. And it's potentially, because one of the big objectives with this year's car was to trade off some of the uh, the low-speed performance to get the straight-line speed, that kind of thing, get a more rounded package. And that attempt to move the dials doesn't entirely seem to have worked. So It's failed. It's definitely failed. They look, they look like their spread of performance is much, much narrower than it was last year. Yeah, so, so, so that's a concern. And that, to me, means do they really understand what they're doing? We don't know. It could be that as part of the architectural changes, they've identified the root cause. And it's like, right, this is locked in. We'll do what we can with this year's car and next year it'll be fine. So if that's the case, and secondarily, if that's the case and they are correct about that and understand how to fix it, 
that's all positive. But yeah, I'm a little bit worried about the overall aero shortfalls, but we won't know until next year's car runs. But one thing you can be absolutely sure of, if that car starts to run in the early stages of next year and the same problems are there, it's going to be really, really bad at Ferrari. It's going to go really badly wrong because that's basically pretty much any chance of catching Red Bull within this rule cycle gone. Charles Leclerc has already said it's very difficult for them to to catch Red Bull, but it's still possible at this stage. So yeah, a lot riding on the work going on at Maranello right now. We'll get back to the pod in a moment, but first, a word about our partner, Grammarly. No matter what kind of work you do, how you communicate is key. All those emails, reports and presentations are equally important to the collaboration needed to get things done. And Grammarly can help. Grammarly is your AI writing partner to help you communicate more effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact at work. I know from experience that Grammarly can help you save time on any writing task and ensure you feel confident about what you've produced. In fact, 96% of Grammarly's users report that Grammarly helps them craft more impactful writing, and their tone suggestions can help you navigate even the most difficult work conversations. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Sign up and download for free at Grammarly.com forward slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said done. Let's move on to the drivers now. Ben, both Charles Leclerc and Carlos Sainz are out of contract at the end of next season. Still a little bit of time to go. But it is slightly unusual these days to see a big team not have at least one driver signed up or at least have total control over what that driver's doing uh, for, for 2025 at this sort of range. Do you see either of these signing soon? I don't know about how soon they'll commit. Sounds like both drivers want to stay. The clerk was pretty adamant pre-Zanvoort that his intentions are clear. That he believes in what Fred Vasseur's doing in terms of implementing a plan to turn Ferrari around. Science obviously has been linked to the nascent Audi project. I think Edgy wrote a, a piece about Science's links to Audi and being reunited with Andreas Seidel, James Key, etc. down the line. But if you're in Science's position, would you want to use that as anything more than leverage? Does going into what is effectively the Sauber team, which is always something that seems like it might have promise, but is a long way from realising that, a better bet than a basket case Ferrari. I'm not sure. I, th- I think Science wants a new long-term Ferrari deal. Yeah. I think that's his number one objective. And the Audi deal is there as leverage. primarily leverage and a very, very good alternative. If it if it gets blown up. That, that's the impression I get. Anyway, what, what do you think, Scott? Would you agree with that? Do you think Science would sign on the dotted line if he was given a three-year deal, say, to take him to 2027, 2028, somewhere around there? I think so. Um, I think that Sainz has talked quite a lot about wanting to make sure he's at his peak as a driver at the right time and he feels that he can still improve and he wants to get to that peak with Ferrari. I think having a medium-term contract at Ferrari will facilitate that. I also think that while it's nice to have the interests in a works team like Audi, I think you'd be looking at where Sauber's at at the moment as a team operationally and technically, uh, and you wouldn't necessarily have the confidence that even with significant Audi investment and however much you trust Andreas Seidel as someone that Sainz knows well and 
gets on very well with from his time at McLaren, you wouldn't believe that necessarily that team's going to make the progress to be a better option than Ferrari by 2026 or 2027. So if Audi's interest is sincere and the, and Signs believes in the Seidel project, that option to join them will be their long term. It will be their, I'm, I'm sure Audi and Sauber would like to have a driver with them at the start of the journey and then build through it. But if Signs is the best option for them, he'll be the best option for them in potentially 27 or 28. And Signs can move later once it's clear he can't achieve what he wants to with Ferrari. If he's out of favour there, if he feels that it's too geared around Leclerc or someone else, if someone else comes in, he'll have that option, I think. I I think it's a very, very useful alternative to have around while he's negotiating. But I just think in the short and medium term, certainly Ferrari's a better bet. And it would be a surprise if Sainz wanted out because he's ultimately prioritizing something else if he does that it's he's a, it's a it's a long-term gamble and it just doesn't necessarily make the most sense at the moment not to me anyway it's a gamble also he probably doesn't need to take because although ferrari's having a, a much worse season relatively speaking than last year science is improving i think he looks relatively stronger more consistent he seems to be handling some of the deficits a bit better I think the mixed conditions maybe that seem to disproportionately affected some of the sessions this year compared to last help him because he's very good in those sorts of circumstances. But anyway, I think he would want to keep building on personal momentum he's he's managed to to carve out for himself. But also the fact they've both got contracts that run into next year means they can probably afford to wait a bit longer just to see how things pan out both internally at Marinello but also with other things going on in the driver market, you know, the the Perez situation at Red Bull kind of remains unresolved. And if there was some scenario whereby Red Bull had enough of Perez and put him at Alpha Tauri, but decided that neither Lawson nor Ricardo were good enough for that seat, suddenly you've got the best seat on the grid open and drivers are going to want to be potentially in the frame for that if they can get it. And also there's Hamilton's situation at Mercedes, although it seems like a done deal. There's still no official announcement of him continuing. And those those pieces need to fall into place short term, I think, before you have a full picture of what's happening with the market. So the, from to answer your original question about timing, Ed, from the Ferrari driver's point of view, there's no rush for them to commit, even if that's what they're minded to do. They're ultimately in a position, Ferrari, where they know that even though they're not offering their drivers as much as they should be at the moment, they're still offering them more than they'll get elsewhere because there isn't, there's not room at the inn for anywhere else that's better. I mean, Mercedes is arguably just a sideways move into something slight. It's just, it's less chaotic, certainly, but competitively, it's pretty much a sideways move. Um, and there's not necessarily a seat available there because we are expecting Lewis Hamilton to stick around probably for another couple of years. What about a scenario where, say, Norris went from McLaren to Red Bull? And then that McLaren seat opened up because they look like a team on the up again, don't they? Yeah, but again, it's it's one of those where what what do you what faith do you have in 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 the project? And again, it's that short to medium term thing. Are McLaren going to win races before Ferrari win races? Maybe <laughs> much of a much, much well, yeah, maybe, but it's much of a muchness. And and I guess the more pertinent question is: Are they going to win a title before Ferrari is able to win a title? Now, almost certainly. Fra- <laughs> 
Well, <laughs> you you say that, but you know the we we joke about how long the the Ferrari title drought is. It's as long as the McLaren title drought. So it's 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 just not emphatic, is it? Your alternatives. There isn't another one where you go. Oh, I'd love to be part of that. I mean. I actually said a couple of months ago that if I were Leclerc, I'd be slightly tempted by the Aston Martin project. If I feel like that's the one that might, might just be enough to, te- to tempt you away because at the time, that was the one that had the most sort of upward mobility of any of the midfielders, more than McLaren, more certainly more than Alpine. I wouldn't touch that project with a 10-foot pole if I was the driver. Um, and there's obviously a load of money behind it. There's loads of real stuff going on. Stalled a bit though, hasn't it? Stalled a bit. Exactly. So it's like even that one, which was the one that made me, and that's not really replaced like for like in by McLaren. Um, McLaren, McLaren and Aston Martin are sort of semi-interesting ones in the same way that Audi's a long-term semi-interesting one, but much as we joke about Ferrari and much as we criticise that they're not doing what they should do, it's still probably the third best option in Formula One at the moment. Would you take the Red Bull seat though if it was available? If Perez was out and there was no one automatically in? I'd love it if Leclerc did, but I don't think either of them really see the point. Like I just don't really see that they... Well, I mean, I, I would imagine that they both back themselves because they're F1 drivers and that's what you do. So Science maybe that was there as well before, wasn't he? So yeah, that went a, well. history. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> but he's a different guy now, right? Yeah, but they're still the same competitors, aren't they? And the dads won't be so involved, though. You'd, well, wouldn't they? <laughs> well, <laughs> mate, you, I suppose they would be. Yeah. Have you it met just, the Verstappen camp? It would just be eight years on repeat or nine years on repeat, wouldn't it? Yeah, with a lot more at stake. <laughs> yes. So you know, no, you're right, Ben. That would work extremely well. They'll have to, they'll have to get John. They have to get John Booth in to calm things down, like they did at Torosso. Yeah. What was it? Uh, Yamaha MotoGP style walls being erected in the garage to keep them apart. So, yeah, that, that's. I, I think either the driver could probably back themselves to do it, but there's backing yourself on a personal level and then assessing it rationally and thinking, is this the best move for me? So I just, I just. It's not that they're stuck. It's just Ferrari, Carlos Sainz and Charles Leclerc. Are, at worst, they're convenient bedfellows, aren't they, for the interim? It, it's it's a it's harmless to to, to, t- to tick over because the driver market's just not in your favour. I think, if anything, it's a bit different for the two drivers. I think if you're Carlos Sainz, if you can get a good three-year deal, a satisfactory remuneration package and it all adds up, I think you sign it. Whereas I think Leclerc can afford to hang on a little bit longer because obviously the clerk is slightly more coveted by rival teams. Science would be considered by a lot of teams, but that just sheer pace that Leclerc has got is a very valuable commodity. So I think actually you could do that. And that that might appeal to Ferrari as well, because if you get one driver lined up, then that allows you to apply a little bit more pressure to Leclerc because he's a prize asset so they want to keep him. It's a good driver lineup, I think. I think it's quite a well balanced complementary driver lineup. So if I was Ferrari, I'd want to keep them and I can see probably Sainz, who's a very sharp operator, ultimately. He will leverage everything about the situation, about Audi interest and everything to his advantage, as any driver should do in that scenario. So I wouldn't be completely surprised by by Sainz getting done earlier, unless Leclerc just thinks, do you know what? I've just got to stick with this. I've gone down the Ferrari path. That's where I am. Let's hope it works. And he just says, right, I'm going to be your guy long term. But 
I think it would be maybe wise for Leclerc to hang on a bit more. Science, I think, would be wise to get pen on paper because he's very good, but he is in that sort of John Watson zone whereby <laughs> if you don't get your deal done, you might suddenly find Alan Prost unexpectedly on the market in you and you get knocked out of a plum drive, as happened with him with McLaren when he thought there were no credible alternatives. So, And Watson was a very good driver as well. So it's just a very slightly different position for those two drivers. You can tell you've just done a Bring Back V10s in an older style podcast, Ed, in recording before coming on to this. Could you not have found a more contemporary reference than John Watson? 1980, 1983 is contemporary for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, whatever happens, I think both drivers have earned their crust this year driving that heap of a Ferrari. So they should be negotiating hard for pay rises based on the the threat to them that that car poses. Yeah, and I think the driver lineup is one area of Ferrari you cannot question. That's definitely something they should hang on to if they possibly can. But yeah, it's going to be a long-term recovery, I think, for Ferrari from here, but it's already been a long-term recovery for quite a lot of years. So I think, unfortunately for the Tafosi this weekend, who knows, maybe something bizarre will happen. And I think a Ferrari win at Monza is always a, a, a popular and much celebrated thing, but Long it's going odds. to take quite unusual, <laughs> yeah, quite unusual set of circumstances in the Ferrari circus is going to run and run. So thanks very much to Ben and Scott for your insight. Head to therace.com and don't forget the hyphen plenty to read there. Check out our other podcasts, the aforementioned Bring Back V10s, which tells classic F1 stories. We've got an IndyCar podcast with Jack Benyon, Formula E podcast, MotoGP podcast, the Race F1 Tech Show with the legend that is Gary Anderson as well. Also have a look at our YouTube channel, short and long form videos there. Well, the next race is just around the corner, so stay with us for everything you need to know from the Italian Grand Prix. <laughs> 